All right, what up, what up? Episode 20 of the Stiff Shots podcast. Wow, 20. You know, that, that's traditionally the China gift, which is great because I had some Chinese food earlier for lunch. And today we're going to be discussing AEW's first episode on the Turner Network Television Network, TNTN. With me, as always, is Rick Jimenez. Rick, how you doing? Good, man. Check this out. Oh, Woo! man, that's 8.4 ounces of... Rosé Burrito Power Drink, which is very proper Spanish for uh, Red Little Bull. (laughs) Oro Rojo. Right now I'm sitting in the passenger seat of the Marshmallow Maserati of the Rockstar Beverage, 16 ounces. And uh, man... Really, really enjoying it, really feeling powerful, which is good because we're going to need some power for this episode because, uh, you know, I don't even want to waste any time. I want to get right into it. We got a lot to talk about. This is the first show of AEW on TV, episode one, essentially a fresh start, you know, so they can they can take all these little pay-per-view events that they've had. And I don't say little belittlingly, but, you know, half of them were free, had these pay-per-view events that they've led up to us kind of a trial run, really eliminate what doesn't work, accentuate what does, put it on TV. They're going to change the world. It's going to revolutionize the wrestling business. And here we go. So we're opening up with their... Well, let's talk about the, the intro credits at first. All right. Do you know what Glow Rage is? <laughs> glow Rage? Yeah, they're these paint parties that people have where uh, they basically just listen to techno music and shoot each other with neon-colored paints. That's what this opening thing reminded me of. Ah, uh, that sounds like a like a really lame version of a 90s rave. I actually thought this open was cool. Did I think the intro was cool? Nah. The, the, I don't understand what it is with wrestling and music because... Music is such a big part of not just the world, but wrestling, you know, entrance themes and show introductions, all this shit. And man, like wrestling is just fucking perpetually stuck in 2003 with music. And that really bums me out, man. This this sounded like it could have been the fucking theme theme song for Backlash 2004. (laughs) Well, uh, did you ever see that show Buck Wild? No, man, that sounds like something I would never... Oh, wait, is that a... Um, that's a, uh, a fucking... The loser from the dating show had her own show? <laughs> no, it was like... It was like um, the Jersey Shore, but it took place in West Virginia. <laughs> oh, that sounds even worse. I thought Buck <laughs> Wild was like one of the Brett Michaels friends that, uh, you know, <laughs> couldn't, couldn't get it slipped in. Okay. <laughs> well, in Buckwild, they go to one of these paint parties and they listen to this kind of intro music. And I just really felt like I was reliving that show. And hey, that show was cool. I mean, I think they all died from meth, which uh, Joey Janela wasn't on this show. So maybe he's on Buckwild now. But before we go any further, you know, I, I want to set a precedent here that, you know, when you're you, you talk to your friends about their relationships or whatever, and usually they'll just like complain about their significant other because those stories are more interesting and funny than just saying like, hey, they were really sweet to me and nice to me and and I know that we love each other. That's kind of how I felt about this show. This show I I did enjoy. But but, (laughs) that being said, 
I really like talking about the stuff I didn't enjoy because they're funnier to me. Just being like, yo, this thing was cool. That's really much all, all I might have to say. I might as well start a Twitter account, work for Warner Music. But it's funny and fun to say stuff that I don't like. And uh, so I'm going to be bringing up a lot of that. But let's go ahead and get it out of the way right, right at the beginning. This show was wait, not wait. bad. Wait, let, let, me, let me jump in there. It's funny that you say that because I think people that know me or, you know, are good friends listening to the show because this is episode 20, so you know me at this point as well, friend listening. Um, I actually much rather speak about things I do like and speak positive about things. Uh, that doesn't mean I won't speak about things that are negative. But the negative things always really rile me up, like get me fucking my blood boiling, especially when it's something I care about, like wrestling, because it's not fucking rock scientist, but I am more than happy to elaborate on the bad things. But like you said, I guess in some ways it's more fun <laughs> to talk about the bad things. But hey, man, this, is, this podcast isn't called fucking, you know, work real light. It's called Stiff Shots. We're going we're gonna to stiff you all night. I'm gonna slip it in, <laughs> like like the guy, like Brett Michaels. <laughs> so that being said, this show was fine. You know, it wasn't bad. I'm gonna watch next week. I didn't think it sucked. Were there stuff on here that I thought was goofy and laughable? Of course I did. Was it better than the episode of NXT that aired at the same time? You gotta be out of your mind. Are you kidding me? Uh... Give me a break. Io Shirai wasn't even on this show. But all that being said, there was some cool stuff. Now, the show opens with Cody versus Sammy Guevara. One thing I know Sammy, you know, not to jump ahead, may have some evolution happening in his character or establishing one, since I still don't know why there's a panda head on his head. But his promo picture with his tongue hanging out <laughs> just really bothers me. I can't, I can't get over it. But that being said, Sammy and Cody come out. Now, we all heard, of course, that AEW was going to have Pyro. Uh, what we didn't know was that, that Pyro was only going to be for Cody. <laughs> because he's the only one that comes out with Pyro. And he comes out first. He's got to be the first one out. And this kind of goes with your thing always, that he just goes out of his way all the time to just really say, Hey, hey, I'm a top guy. Look, 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 I'm a star. Look how much of a star I am. I, I'm the first guy in the first match. I get a special entrance. Nobody else does on the whole show. And, uh, man, that, that was uh, really funny to me. That being said, this match was, uh, was cool. You know, Sammy is cool. Um, yo, if you like diamond cutters, this show is for you. Because <laughs> there's one in, I think, every match. If not, almost every match. And this is no exception. There's two diamond cutters in the first five minutes of this match. I'll tell you that. Uh, the biggest news out of this match, though, of course, is that WWE front row guy that wears that neon green smiley face pullover sweatshirt, he defected, man. He's the first, first shot fired of the Wednesday Night Wars. He's in the front row of AEW now. So that's going to be the ripples will run through the wrestling industry for the end of time with that. But um, another funny thing that this match sets the precedent of is uh jr constantly <laughs> repeating that this show is tv 14 <laughs> yeah they hammered that in quite a bit huh 
it's kind of a weird thing to keep bringing up over and over again, as opposed to just prove it by something that's happening in the ring or outside of the ring or on the show. Um, I don't want to criticize Jr. because I, you know, okay, is that silly to bring that up several times? Yes, but I have I have no issue with Jr. Um, on this show or professionally, you know, what he does. Uh, I'm not even saying it as a criticism. If anything. They they can make that a catchphrase. Hey, TV fourteen, pal. Like I mean, he said it so much that. Yeah, I don't think they should do that. That's something <laughs> I, I, I don't like. That. Okay. Uh, but even before the match, I aside from the music on the intro, I love I love the whole opening. Everything about the opening I thought was was great and exciting, and it's just like I'm already excited just because of everything this show means. You know, in the grand scheme of things, like all right, you know, and this is either even whether I like AEW or not, of which, you know, uh, we stated ad nauseum, you know, we like some parts of it and we don't like other parts of it. But overall, I love that it exists. So um, the first show head-to-head. So I'm totally into that. Cody and Sammy, you know, they've been talking about how this was going to be the first match. Like, all right, I'm waiting for Sammy to come out uh, because, you know, Cody's the star in this and, He's the face, and there's no real story yet involved in this. So I assume the heel will come out first, and the face will come out second. And then Cody comes out first. And like you said, like, oh, of course he's going to come out first. Um, This might be a weird thing to say because I was uh, six and seven, eight years old when Dusty Rhodes was booking WCW, NWA. so everything I know about him being the booker is all, even if I was watching around that time, you know, I was watching as a spectator. I didn't know anything about the business. Even, even now, I'm not involved in the business. But everything you know in retrospect from people talking, DVDs, podcasts, etc. There was a lot of criticism with Dusty Rhodes booking the territory and being the big star constantly. And everything revolves around Dusty Rhodes even more so than other territory heads did you know not just that he was a champion but everything he did was to push him and that's even all the ancillary angles and everything so i feel like cody sure did learn a lot from dusty Rhodes, and he's doing exactly that and i think that's just so prevalent throughout the entire show uh my opinion the entire company is based around cody Cody is the sun. Everything else happening in the company are all these other planets um, in any solar system. The Earth isn't flat. So like you said, you know, I guess we could get off it. Cody comes out first. He gets pyro. Huge. Cody's everything. Whatever. Uh, Sammy, his tongue makes me sick. It doesn't make any sense. Like, he's not a bushwhacker. He's not a member of demolition. You know, he's not. He's just slender white guy with his tongue out with going back to what you said before some kind of like douchey rave guy haircut so man i am more and more confused by sammy's character as time goes on um okay so uh, enough of that uh interesting that during cody's entrance the first thing that i see or or the first sign like you know fan holding up a sign 
that you see in AEW television history is the Muchos Gracias fake razor. So the first sign that you see a fan holding on AEW TV is a WWE reference. So that is just like, you know what? I don't know what that is, but it's definitely fucking something. Um, well, and the last thing you hear as the show goes off the air is people chanting, we the people. Oh, oh, duh. We, we will get we'll, to we'll that. We'll get there. <laughs> we, we the people will get the fuck to that. Um, but now we get on to what I believe are the positives of this match. This show was telling us, as far as AEW goes, Cody is the top guy. So that that's fine. I'm just going along with it. You know, I don't fucking watch X-Men and cry about how Wolverine is the main character. Um, so the crowd pop for Cody is really, really cool. And that's really exciting. So, so there it is. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not up to me. You know, it's up to me to comment in this next hour and a half. But aside from that, you know, it's, it's just my, my commentary. The 10,000 or however many people are there, the sold out show, they all buy it and they're all solidly behind Cody. Now, I think it's really cool that in this match, Cody is the face and Sammy is the heel and the crowd is treating these guys accordingly. I appreciate that. The ring and the crowd and the camera work, all of that looks super big time and I'm, I'm, I'm into it. I just, I just really like the color scheme of the ring, the kind of off-white canvas and the black turnbuckles. This might be stupid stuff to comment on, but to me, you know, it just makes it look more legit. Um, in some ways, the way they lit the whole entire show was, it was almost in a way more UFC than it was WWE. Um, and this is, you know, taking the whole show into consideration, not the fact that once that this match started, the whole crowd was so purple that whenever the, you know, they used the hard camera angle, it looked like the entire arena was purple. So e either way, right off the bat, I just like visually, I like what I'm seeing. Uh, the match up until, you know, the point I'm going to pick apart. Match was fine. It was, it was a good match. It's exciting. You know, it's it's a good wrestling match. So at the one point, at this point, finally, you know, full on, Sammy is the heel and Cody's the face, is when Cody dives out of the ring and Sammy grabs Brandy and throws him in front and Cody blasts her uh, softly. Uh, but Brandy takes that fucking spill into the barricade and smashes the back of her head. That, that was... That was cool, obviously. Well, I, don't, I shouldn't say obviously, but I assume she wasn't supposed to smash the back of her head into a steel gate. Um, you know what I back... appreciated about that bump, though, is which is normally a problem I have with uh, those kinds of spots and matches, is normally what will happen is Brandy, who in theory is a wrestler also, will take a, a light bump that normally any other wrestler would get up from and continue a match, and then they're just, you know, they're murdered. They're dead yeah. on the ground. She got back up not long afterwards. So, you know, it, it served its purpose of getting the heat on Sammy, like you said, firmly establishing him as the heel. But it also didn't, you know, bury Brandy not being able to take one shot in, in the ring from, uh, from, like you said, her husband who not only in real life isn't going to blast her, but in kayfabe probably would have pulled back because he, at the last second, may have seen that she was the one he was about to hit. So I, I 
I did like that part of it. Yeah, I, I thought, agree, done well. Eventually, Cody hits Sammy with the disaster kick. Do they still call it the disaster kick? Is it called something else now? I think that's what he calls it, yeah. Uh, Sammy's sell on that was fucking awesome. So aside from that, I really, really liked the finish. Uh, so overall, really good match. Especially, so good match at all, but especially, you know, first 15 or 20 minutes of their first show. By the point that the in-ring match is over, I'm like, all right, cool. Great showing. Excellent first effort. Um, the handshake thing, I'm just kind of like, all right, wh- whatever. You know, you know I, the handshake thing was cool for me, too, uh, because at first, when he goes to the handshake, if that would have been for real, like a respect handshake, then I, my eyes would have been rolling out of my head because I can't stand that. Yes. Especially when, like you said, we've just established who the heel and who the face is, that Sammy's willing to let your wife get blasted. But then when it turned out to just be a setup, then I was all on board for it, and I loved it. It's a little ambiguous at that point, uh, but I like it. The Jericho attack is is the best. You know, right off the bat, you know what? Let's have the fucking champion show up at the end of the first match and blast who's obviously, you know, put in a position of, the, the big face in the company. So, you know, the heel champion comes out. My favorite part about the whole thing is that Jericho comes out wearing the belt. I don't know if that actually matters, but, you know, he didn't just bring the belt down. He attacks Cody and he's wearing the fucking belt. I just love that. Um, so, admittedly, this is the first time I've ever paid 100% attention to the action in the ring while there's a split screen between in-ring and commercial. You know, WWE's been doing that for years and years now, and I'll pay attention to it, but it won't have my undivided attention as if the commercial is not going on. I thought it was interesting that they went to commercial when their champion got in the ring, though. I thought that was a little bit of an interesting thing. But like you said, you know, at least it did the split screen for a while. But I, I just thought that was weird to go to, like, oh, our, our champion's here. It's a big moment. Eh, cut the commercial. Put, put him in a tank. I, I, I agree. I agree. A little weird. But, um, you know, in, in other ways, you know, whoever is doing the commercial, sponsoring the show at that time, uh, they're going to prefer having a split screen as opposed to just the commercial across the screen because more people are keeping their eyes on the television. So it's almost like an in-show promo for said sponsor. So, you know, in some ways it might be like, ah, why is AEW doing this? But in other ways it might be like they're establishing even more good faith or they might even be able to charge for the commercial time more if they have the split screen as opposed to, you know, oh, full screen commercial, I'm going to switch over to NXT or whatever else. But either way, Jericho, he threw the whole break. And then even when they come back, he's still, he's just fucking decimating Kofi, uh, oh, Cody. Um, and I'm thinking, man, this rocks. So whole entire first segment or segment and a half, I'm like, yeah, this is, this is some good shit. There were parts in this match though, that were, uh, funny to me. Um, at first, you know, and, and the same with the handshake. So some of these things in the moment irritated me more than they did as the show played out. So I'm giving credit where credit's due. So when Sammy first hit the Spanish fly, 
my, my eyes were rolling there because I was like, oh, we're doing 100 Spanish flies. It's like we're doing 100 diamond cutters. But no, we're only doing 100 diamond cutters. That was the only Spanish fly of the show. And that's fine. As long as they're not overexposing that move, I'm, I'm into it. And I really liked his thing where he missed the moonsault, did the Andrade second attempt at the moonsault, still missed it, but then hit a shooting star, um, standing shooting star press. That was cool. But the part that did actually make me laugh was uh, Cody, who again, is wearing a weight belt, because that's how much of a body guy he is, is really having a hard time putting my man up for this suplex, it seemed like. Well, maybe because the belt wasn't tight enough. Yeah, his, his midsection wasn't tight. So, so at one point, yo, he throws the belt into the crowd, and then you see three guys who have never seen a weight belt in their life fighting over it. And then <laughs> it's, it's interesting to think, like, oh, what purpose do they want this weight belt for? It's either, you know... A, because they're, you know, collectors, which, you know, I, I think is cool, is fine. Uh, two, because they're going to sell it on eBay, which eBay just put taxes on both seller and buyer. So, um, you know, that's whatever. I'm all for fucking eBaying whatever you can because, you know, we're all broke. Or D, because they want to go to the gym with it. But we all know that's not <laughs> fucking happening. Yeah, you saw the crowd shots throughout the night. Uh, speaking of someone who's never been to the gym before, so Excalibur on commentary is with these two older men, yet he is the one that says the most weirdo, old guy-sounding reference of the whole night. He goes, yeah, Sammy Guevara is the kind of kid who would run through the house with a pickle in his mouth. The hell does that mean? I, I don't know. I, I wasn't. Maybe that... Maybe that's, like, not old guy thing. Maybe, like, that's some fucking internet thing we don't know about. But uh, if it's an internet thing, I think you would know about it. Yeah, I've been on the internet before. But the last thing I'll say about this opening segment, and then we'll move on, is that you, you bring up a good point about the commercials. People are going to actually be paying attention. Me, myself, I was eagle-eyed on the commercials for the upcoming TNT game show called Misery Index, which is not the death metal band from Maryland, but in fact hosted by Jamila Jamil, who was on The Good Place and mm. once wore a chicken costume for a full 30 days nonstop for some sort of charity event. But she really rocks my socks, which I'm wearing right now. They have puppies that are astronauts, and I appreciated getting to see her throughout the night. She really calmed me down on some of the more irritating parts of this show. You know, so that show, there was three different commercials for it. There was like several commercials, but there was three specific ones that were different. So the first one, I was like, oh, this looks like it's going to be a cool show. And then the second one, everything just had to do with bugs. I was like, dude, what the, f the fuck? Like they said, oh, here's a weird bug coming out of some guy's eye, uh, ear, nose, mouth. Fucking stupid, man. I, don't put, I hate surprise bugs on television. All right. Well, speaking of somebody who needs a fly swatter to the face, the next match is Brandon Cutler versus MJF. Now, Brandon Cutler, uh, I thought, was just a fan who won a contest. And turns out I was right. He's a make-a-wish <laughs> because he made a wish that his wife making the costumes would get him a job in the wrestling company. And since... You know, Justin Roberts invented Connor's Cure. He knows how to shoehorn these kind of things into things. So Brandon gets to come out and get embarrassed, not only kayfabe, but in real life embarrassed by MJF because he's an embarrassment. And uh, I'm glad he got to live his dream. And now he can go, can go back to the sewing machine, which that's a respectable profession. I'm not very good at sewing. You know, when I want to put patches and stuff on my cool denim vests, 
I have to have someone do that for me. Now, you know, if it's just like a backpack thing or some little needle and thread, I can usually do that. But if it's if it's full on, you know, you want every stitching to be on point, I can just do really the corners. So I'm not trying to disrespect seamstresses or bald people, but uh, this guy sucks. <laughs> okay, MJF is perfect. We we know about this, you know, in the ring and out of the ring. That that guy fucking brunks it all. During his entrance, another plain sight WWE sign. Something about Shane McMahon. Like, you're not Shane O'Mac or something. Which is like, now that man. guy, that guy was at Clash of Champions, which I don't know if I've ever told you before. I was actually at Clash of Champions. I didn't pay for it, though. Oh, cool. And he had a sign that said, what do you think this is? Funko Land? And that was very funny to me. <laughs> You know, Funko Land, you, have, you try to get some money for your entire video game collection from, you know, 1988 to 1994, and they give you, like, two bucks. Yeah, that place was cool. So I think his, uh, his signs are just supposed to be, like, ridiculous. So holding up a sign that says, you're no Shane O'Mac to MJF is funny because it doesn't make any sense, and I think he's aware of it. But regardless, like you said, still a WWE reference. My favorite sign of the night that wasn't a WWE reference, which there were very few, uh, was during this match though. It uh, it just said MJF is better than me and had a big frowny face. <laughs> I like that. So you know the match gets started, or even even before the match gets started, man. Cutler just looks like an indie guy, like he does not belong there. Um, I don't think he's you know he's not terrible, but he he's just jobber looking, you know. His offense is whatever at best. And I think that's even saying a lot that that's all I get out of him when he's in the ring with MJF. MJF is like a fucking heat magnet, which is like so, so difficult at all. But especially in 2019, man, it's so fucking difficult to get heat. Um, And then especially with AEW's crowd where they just want to cheer everybody because they just appreciate that they're performing for them, which I know that sounds like, oh, why shouldn't you appreciate that someone's performing for you? But, you know, as if you're a wrestler, you don't want somebody's appreciation if you're being a heel. You want them to fucking boo you. You want them to, you know, to get lost in it. You know what I'm saying, man? Like if you're if you're that crazy asshole, you know, uh, kid killer in Last Action Hero, but it's not a movie. If, if it's like a fucking play on Broadway or wherever the fuck they do that shit, and the crowd is cheering for you as you're killing a kid because they appreciate, you know, that you're pretending so well at killing kids, that's stupid. Cutler, in my opinion, is just subpar across the board and shouldn't be on major network television, in my opinion, but that's going to lead me uh, to the stiff shot of the week. Kenny Omega goes on the internet last week or two weeks ago or a fucking couple days ago. And if you like Kenny Omega, oh, he's in character. But um, the same people that are saying that he's being a prick on the internet and just staying in character are the same people that jumped all over Seth Rollins and said that he was a piece of shit because he said he loves working for WWE. Go figure. Um, Kenny Omega gets on the internet and says that NXT isn't even on AEW's level and can't possibly compete, and that 
the guys at the top of the card at NXT would be lucky to be in the dark match on one of his cards. I might be, you know, wording that incorrectly, but the sentiment was, and I'm, I'm pretty sure he just straight up said those guys would be in the dark match on one of, you know, my cards or an AEW card. Uh, so here comes the shot. Whether I'm talking about this point in AEW show or even at the end of the show, still. Taking the, la- the first two matches into consideration, both Sammy Guevara and Cutler, they couldn't be stars in NXT at this point in their career. Could Sammy become something in the future? Very possibly. You know, especially with, as we know, the end of the show, they're going to give him a little bit of a push, it seems like. Uh, what happens with that push is to be determined. That's up to Sammy, and it's up to whoever's got the pencil. Uh, Cutler, come on, man. You, you've got to be kidding. Neither one of these guys could be featured on NXT TV at all. But these are the guys that are featured in the first two matches of AEW TV. And we have somebody like Kenny Omega saying that NXT is just is it, oh they're just developmental um that's bullshit that is complete fucking bullshit if we're comparing Sammy and Cody to Adam Cole and Matt Riddle and then we're comparing MJF versus Cutler versus uh against Mia Yim and Io Shirai and we're just from there saying, oh, which one of us is developmental and which one of us is the real deal? I don't know what fucking glasses you're watching, what weird television you're watching, or what internet brain fucking device you have. But um, fuck that, man. Saying NXT isn't up to par with AEW is just fucking absurd, and you have mental problems. Damn shot! We're dealing with a company like AEW who is young, okay? They're hip. They got their fingers on the pulse of pop culture, and that is why Kevin Smith and Jason Mewes of Jay and Silent Bob, famous characters from the late 90s, are front row at their show being interviewed and having some sort of weird program with Jack Evans and Angelico. Okay, so I actually think Kevin Smith and Jason Mewes are cool. I also was going to add to that, that I'm almost 40 years old. So it's like, all right, you know, clerks, mid-90s or early 90s, all the way up until, you know, all the other fucking Kevin Smith movies that they're in. Like, okay, so that's, in some ways, like, oh, that's right up my alley because, like, you know, that was before I thought life was completely meaningless and I enjoyed things. But, um and I get it. They have a new movie coming out, and it's going to be a big deal and all this stuff. And Kevin Smith is just big in that uh, comic book world and the, uh, the, the long branches of that into, you know, pseudo-nerd culture now, which is, goes hand-in-hand hand with AEW. And I'm, none of that is derogatory. Why they have fucking cosplay White Harlem Heat come out... I have no idea. I have never hated Angelico and Jack Evans more than this. This completely exposes these guys to me. So by what I'm saying there is, yes, Jack Evans can do a whole bunch of flips. Yes, Angelico 
is wearing the Harlem Heat Halloween costume that he got at Rite Aid. And when he's not in the ring, he's riding a fucking dirt bike. I get it. But you take them out of the ring and you try to put them in something of, of this nature where you have to work with a celebrity and all this shit. And it's it's so fucking corny and bad. It's just kind of like Jack Evans, when he's yelling like, oh, you think you're cool? I'm cool. You know what? You're not fucking cool. You suck. I don't even want to see you in the ring anymore. They try to relate this somehow to having... I guess this is like the roots of their issue with private party because once the angle's over or it seems like the segment's over private party kind of comes out and they're like, Oh, you know, like, Hey, like we're a tag team too. Isn't that crazy? Like I'm holding a drink too. And now we're going to leave. Oh, cool, man. You know, I've seen the street profits for fucking 25 years now. Um, <laughs> dude, this, Oh, Oh my God. So I was even everything that I just said, you know, in a negative slant, about Cutler and all this stuff. In all actuality, up until this point, I am really enjoying this show. This stuff happens, and I'm like, oh, what the fuck? Like, they're really losing me here. But, you know, I'm committed to this show one way or the other um, for many reasons. So what do they do next? They go to fucking Stone Cold Universe doing a shitty WWE-style pre-tape in front of the fucking White House. This is... One of the worst pre-tapes that I've seen since late stage WCW. And man, like... Uh, well, this whole show is WCW oh, TNA. All right, we got a run in here from Stevis of the band Fever333. Steve, how you doing? I'm great. I'm happy to be here. Hey, man, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, so... As people may or may not know, you are an Atlanta legend, a native of <laughs> the the city of A-Town, which I'm positive is what they call it. And <laughs> that was the home of WCW, World Championship Wrestling, which uh, was the big, one of the biggest wrestling companies in the world. And also the home of many wrestlers, including but not limited to one Diamond Dallas Page. And yeah. eagle-eye viewers of the Resurrection of Jake the Snake documentary may spot you in said documentary and i know you've spent some time at uh at that house so i was wondering if you just wanted to share some wrestling stories with us that you may have had throughout your years in atlanta but maybe more specifically just uh hanging out with ddp and doing some yoga yeah man um so i'll just i'll go back my mom worked for um turner for turner broadcasting for most no of shit life. yeah and like the sales department so you know turner's who put on all that or a lot of it so um we kind of had a lot of like overlap with seeing wrestlers kind of on the regular when i was really young like fourth and fifth grade and um i remember going to like the turner office and seeing um hulk hogan and um like just running into just like random wrestlers and just having to like keep it cool you know because it's her professional setting um but uh yeah like the neighborhood i lived in diamond dallas page lived like around the corner from my house like if i walked down this grass hill and took a left that was just his house like right there um bischoff lived up the street from him um it was just like it was just kind of there it was like as a kid being like obsessed with wcw it was like it was a kind of a crazy 
existence because who kind of gets to be that close to like your heroes you know especially ddp at the time which is like everything um so we would just be like hanging out me and my cousin just like hanging out outside and like ddp would just drive by in his truck or like bischoff would drive by in his truck or any other random rest or like kimberly at the time uh dallas's uh, wife at the time would just pull up and be like oh my god because we're just we're just kids obsessed with wrestling but like you would just <laughs> randomly just see dallas and you'd be like what the fuck you know like it, it never wore off it never became less cool it was always just like you know just like this insane moment like i remember because every halloween we would obviously go straight to dallas's house <laughs> you know we'd be like all right like let's go and he was always so cool you know just like hey how's it going you know like he'd give you candy but like he knew we loved wrestling so he had like photos of himself that he would sign and give to us and like it was you know what i mean like it's cool. he would like, give you signed photos for halloween yes <laughs> that is yes. way cooler than a fucking snickers bar Right, and I still have one. I still have one of those photos from one of the Halloweens. I still definitely have one. Um, it was everything, man. Like you're, like it was in the moment. It was at the height of it, and I don't think to this day I've like experienced anything like that. Just because, like, I don't know, man. Like, like in like the prime of something, like being a- around the people who are like involved in it, and especially as a kid, it was such a like. I don't know, dude. It was like it was crazy. Just like it was hard to just play outside normally as a kid, being like, "Damn, fucking Eric Bischoff is right over there." You yeah, know what I mean? Like, I, yeah, totally. That's crazy. Especially, you know, I've had one real life interaction with Diamond Dallas Page, which was the first time Extinction AD went through Atlanta. You know, you and I hung out. You introduced me to Nathan Mowry, who yes works or worked alongside Diamond Dallas Page for years and years, who is now an AEW cameraman. And, you know, you're like, oh, well, Rick's a huge wrestling guy. And, you know, Nathan works with DDP, yada, yada. So he set it up. So we were able to go and do DDPY at his fucking house. Yeah. So we straight up, you know, went to Diamond Dallas Page's house, got the tour of his house, saw Jake the Snake's bedroom, met (laughs) Jake the Snake. um, And, you know, we met... Dallas and he was so so cool and right. so down to earth. Yeah. And it's crazy how sometimes, you know, a celebrity or a star or whatever, it's almost like the cooler and more down to earth they are, the more of an actual presence they are, as Absolutely. opposed to being that standoff prick or just kind of like walking around like you're this untouchable superstar. So yeah. um I could only imagine being around that all the time is uh it's 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 crazy you know and it's really cool that diamond dallas page is like that and the fact that he's been so successful for so many years it's kind of like all right one of the good guys in the world is actually doing something great and you know living a a great life and got to be got to be married to fucking kimberly man that's cool as hell yeah it's nuts man like it's it's I don't know. It's like it's definitely like a success story that I step back and look at and it's like, man, that guy, I'm so glad he's where he at, where he is now. You know, he's in excellent shape, obviously. Um his his like mentally he seems like he's sharp, you know, where a lot of a lot of guys in any real kind of like aggressive physical contact sport, it's like your mental kind of just fades, man, you know, mm-hmm. your brain's been rocked so many times. 
but he's sharp. You know, he's he's healthy. He's in good physical shape. He's family man, you know, uh, and his his brand is successful. And I'm I'm so happy because, like you said, he is such a cool, down to earth dude. Like the first time I went to his house, I didn't want to go in. I was with Nathan. I was like, I'll just chill outside. You know, like I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to go in this guy's house. Like, you know what I mean? Like, what am I? Because I can't remember why the first time I went, it was probably just to like bring Nathan something or maybe to pick him up or something. But um, and you're saying this as an adult? This is fast forward years later after trick or treating at his house, going to yes, his house. yeah, much later. Yeah, um, this is recent, um, past few years. I didn't want to go in the first time, but I was like, all right, I'll go in. I was so nervous. Beautiful home. Um, you know, all of his his friends and like coworkers were there, and um, I, uh, yeah, man, I don't, I don't know what what exactly we were doing there. I definitely don't know what I was doing there. But I walked in and uh, I was just welcomed. You know, everybody was so warm and cool. And uh, Jake was there. That was crazy for me. Seeing Jake the Snake was just like this is because I've heard stories from Nathan and like whatever. And I was like, okay, you know. Here he is in the kitchen. I'm in the kitchen. There's actually a photo of this moment that I think <laughs> that I think uh, Nathan took. Um, I had a guitar uh, for some reason, and um, Jake's like, "Oh yeah, so uh, you musician?" I was like, "Yeah." He's like, "Well, who's your favorite band?" I was like, "Oh, I guess probably Smashing Pumpkins is up there for me." He goes, um, "Pink Floyd is the only band." <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, all right. <laughs> You're like, that's what I meant. Pink Floyd, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Did I say pumpkins? I meant I meant Pink Floyd. Obviously Pink Floyd. I was like, oh sick, okay. Like well, we'll have like, to get you to send us that picture. We'll post totally. that picture. Yeah, I know Nathan has it. I'll have to I'll have to find it. But um but yeah, man, like it was it's it's just cool. It's great vibes over there, you know, like um just they all eat so well. So like when you're over there they invite you to eat and like you know, just like kind of meals that like add years to your life you know what i mean it's just like oh wow <laughs> wish i could eat like this every day and just i don't know everyone's cool like everyone that i've ever met at at that house is was like really cool i met um uh scott met Razor ramon um well again which is just such a like just i don't know man like it doesn't wear off like you said they're they're those dudes are legends you know it's like a presence that's just like felt and um i mean that dude it's just like he is the that cool dude, you know what I mean? Like it's not just a character he puts on fully, you know. Like he's a, he just is a cool ass dude. I remember talking to him like, God, this guy's like, I don't know, just because they're all huge, you know what I mean? Like yeah, big dudes still in their old age. Like even though like, you know, like their their backs are giving out, you know, because of being slammed over and over again they're just massive guys but also it's just like being able to talk to them and i'm I'm not sure how much of um how much you can kind of credit dallas to their um to their recovery you know like especially kind of like mentally but like they're all so sharp like scott's sharp as as attack you know and like if you look at the documentary there's a time where he kind of didn't seem as responsive you know but when i met him he was he was great and um same with um same with jake it's like everyone just seems to be in such a good place mentally and in a, in a better place physically too so yeah the trick-or-treat at diamond dallas page's house as a as a stinker you grew up and got to 
hang out with him and Jake the Snake and Scott Hall. Um, you were talking about how as a kid you were super into wrestling. Also, was at the the height of its its popularity as well. Do you still get? To, I know you're a busy guy with with touring and and things like that. But do you get to participate in fandom for wrestling at all anymore? You know what, man? I think it just sort of. I haven't really been been on it too much, you know. Like sometimes I'll see see on like Instagram or something, like someone posted about like a big event or a big like, you know, something that happened, and I'm still interested. Like I'll still want to take a look at it, but um, I I don't really know a whole lot really about what's going on these days. I, I met Seth Rollins in man, I can't even remember where we were. We were on tour with Bring Me and. He came out to the show and was just like the coolest dude, really nice guy. I guess he's really into like heavy music and stuff too. So we, we got to shoot the shit a little bit about that. And, um, you know, but I don't really know like a whole lot about like the new stuff, you know, like I know because I, to be honest, I follow like a lot of like MMA these days. And I know that like there's a lot of talk about crossover these like lately about like kind of UFC, some of the fighters and some, some of, the wrestlers in um, WWE um, with Ronda Rousey, obviously like going over to WWE and like even kind of like UFC sort of modeling after WWE these days, kind of like for lack of a better term, sort of trying to play the game a little bit, you know, like trying to kind of like pull personalities out of fighters instead of, oh, just of, these course, kind of, of course, you know what I mean? Um, and even like there was even talk of like making a belt that wasn't just a weight class, you know, just like a a bad motherfucker belt. Yeah, you know we actually, I mean? we, yeah, we spoke about that on on the pod last week, I believe it was. Yeah, yeah, that's it's just like interesting. It's like, I, and I feel like, and I could be wrong about this. There's a lot of I don't want to say a lot, but there's people who might look at wrestling maybe without the same sort of seriousness or. Um, uh, the same kind of respect that it deserves that follow MMA. But at the end of the day, man, it's like when you're getting slammed, you're getting slammed. And also, like, it, it's entertaining. And it's been it's this has been a, a major form of entertainment for people for so long for a reason, you know. And um, I think with UFC being as popular as it is and taking notes from wrestling, I think that says a lot. You know what I mean? So actually, Fever has had a wrestling theme song two different times for NXT. Once for NXT TakeOver Brooklyn 4, the song, ooh, I believe it was Made in America, was the uh, theme. And then also with Poppy, Scary Mask was for oh, was take- that one? Oh, yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. That's right. TakeOver Toronto. So I know that you're not, you don't have your fingers on the pulse of what's currently happening, but if past or present, uh, past or present. Yeah, that's the right terminology. <laughs> past or present. Or future, if you want to make up a wrestler. Who is a wrestler that you would like to do the theme music for? Oh, man. That's a great question. I mean, I could say Seth easy just because I've met him. And, you know, like, I know he likes heavy stuff. And I heard his song. And, you know, like, I feel like that would be cool. But uh, probably, like... um. Man, who are those like those brothers? They're like these black dudes. They like got dreads. I think they're like a tag team champ or something. Someone posted about them not terribly long ago. 
Oh, okay. Uh, there's a there's a tag team called the Street Profits that are in NXT. They don't have dreadlocks, but they're kind of like you know, well, like the name might imply, they're a little bit more uh, urban. Urban, right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to hold on. Side sidebar. I can't. I can't. I don't want to say the name of the the band that we were on tour with, but uh, we uh, we toured with this band and like it was cool. Love this band. They're they're so sick. And then one of the dudes in the band, though, every time he would talk to me, he would kind of get this like voice. You know what I'm saying? He kind of like kind of turn on the like the urban. If oh you my god! And like one day, someone <laughs> finally called it out. It was like, "Yo, why do you why do you always get urban?" When you, talk to Steve? <laughs> you know what? You know what's funny, Steve? Is uh normally, I mean, obviously, urban is the funniest, borderline racist way to say black. <laughs> but we had a guy on the podcast recently who kept on referring to this wrestler as the black guy, and so I was just trying to go out of my way to not refer to them as blacks. So I was like, uh, you know, they're they. Uh, I think the blacks feels weird <laughs> yeah but like there's nothing wrong with staying the black okay. I'm, I'm with i'm with all of the smoke that that's funny you say that though because the catchphrase of that tag team that i was saying is urban is we want the smoke in fact they even have a uh, t-shirt that looks like a cash money records uh album cover and it says we want the smoke and smoke is in like diamond encrusted letters oh whatever. yeah natural that is amazing we want all the smoke i need to support them fully i yeah. need that shirt actually Okay, Steve, so we do a thing with our guests on this show, which we essentially give you a topic and you give us your Mount Rushmore, so your top four. So, okay, with uh, what we spoke about, so let's get your Mount Rushmore of WCW wrestlers in the height of your fandom. Oh, man. Um, okay, let me think. Because uh, see, when, usually when people do this, they start with one. Okay, because we already know Dallas, obviously. <laughs> I, I was, like, infatuated with Sting. Just the fact that he just would just not be there for weeks. Like, you just wouldn't see him for the longest. Or hear anything about him. And then he would just show up and just hit you with a bat. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, he just yeah. wasn't, it wasn't even a, he wasn't like a wrestler. Like, you, you saw Sting wrestle, like, once a year. Or, like, twice a year, it felt like. That's a kid. It's like what the hell and he like had like the face paint and, like was in the rafters for some reason and like sometimes his whole thing which is he would just be in the rafters and the camera would just be on him and that's it he wouldn't even wrestle or say anything and i was just like this guy is like a true mystery and then usually when he wrestled he won you know it was just like a a very strange kind of like dude i loved it and how cool was it that he just carried around a black bat you know, just a bat. Just cheating. That's cheating. <laughs> You're just hitting. No one else has a bat, Sting. No one has a bat. You have a bat. It's funny, though. Like, it was, it's just, I don't know. I, I was, I was into it. Um, and then when he joined the whole, like, the whole wolf pack situation, he kind of got a little more social because he kind of had to be because they were, they were a gang, basically. So right. he's like. He's like hanging out with like it was like so awkward seeing him like standing in a ring with like ten other people like trying to act like anything other than Sting. It's like oh man, this is kind of weird. We got two more, two more two slots. More. Let's see. Well, um, Rey Mysterio, did you like him when you were younger? I liked Rey Mysterio. I liked Rey Mysterio. I wasn't like super like, you know what I mean? I'm gonna. I really liked Kevin Nash. 
just because he was so huge. He would power bomb you, and instead of just like holding you, like on his shoulders, he would pick you up by yours and like throw you off. You know what I mean? Like yeah, he would drop like, you. Yeah, he. It was just like that. His arms would go behind him, and then he would just let you fall. You know, like, and he's seven foot something. Like it was just like a devastating power bomb. It was such a like. I don't know, man. Like you can't. There's no faking that. It's a. That's a slam. That is a slam. If you take a power bomb from Kevin Nash, it's a wrap. EP Sting and Kevin Nash. One more on the Mount Rushmore of WCW wrestlers. <sighs> I think just for the sake of like going, just leaving tour with um, Alice in Chains, I'm going to go ahead and say Raven. Nice. Just he was so 90s, like angsty, just would sit in the corner with his arms on the ropes and just whine until someone got annoyed with him and ran out and kicked the shit out of him. His move was uh, even called the Even Flow DDT off of that uh, Pearl Jam song. That's right. That's right. Yeah. He was cool. Yeah. I like that pick because, you know, you're talking about your time when you were just super, um, you know, obsessed with WCW, that 96, 97, 98 run. And Raven is a character that if he's not in that specific time, it doesn't connect properly. Totally. You know, Raven's gimmick was so perfect for that mid to late 90s time period. And, you know, I said, you know, one of the best in wrestling, but, you know, as well as in WCW. But... Raven out of the 90s with that gimmick, you know, never caught back on exactly the same. And the gimmicks that, you know, Scott Levy did before Raven, you know, had to be different. Because if you do that Raven gimmick in, you know, 1990 or even 91, it doesn't work. Right. So there you have it. The the Mount Rushmore of WCW wrestlers in Stevens's fandom height. We have yeah. DDP, Crow Sting, Raven, and Kevin Nash. I like yeah. it. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, yo, man, thanks so much for joining us. I know that uh, by the time people are hearing this today, you will be on tour. Fever 333 is on tour in Iowa and Europe. So if you live in either of those places, <laughs> then you're in luck. Uh, but October 4th through November 19th, Fever333.com and Fever333 on probably every social media, but definitely Instagram if you want to go see Steve and debate his Mount Rushmore with him. But, hey, man, can't thank you enough for uh, hanging out with us. It's an absolute pleasure, man. Thanks so much. This is, by far, the worst city I've ever been in man isn't that sick bald friends and then they come out and do the same shit live what why don't you think that with a name like scorpio sky he should do some sort of like spiritual white girl gimmick wouldn't that be cooler let's say he comes out with like amethyst stones okay that he's charged in the moonlight overnight and he's like you know i was gonna be a good guy but since mercury's in retrograde i'm an asshole now and i think that would work better than uh the SCU thing. I just that dawned on me last night that that's his name. His name is a a astrological symbol, and then the word sky, which is also funny on its own. But I really think that he should just come out burning sage. Okay, he leaves the addiction alone. Addiction being Daniels and 
Kazarian, and he just kind of reinvents himself. I think that that could go far. Luchadors wearing masks and suits will never not be cool, so you can't convince me otherwise. There's no way to get around that. Even if what it took to get there sucks, seeing Pentagon and Phoenix come out in formal wear with their masks on is my favorite thing in the world. And, and yo, I can't, I can't disagree with that. Of course. You know, I think the only thing in that realm that's cooler than luchadors coming out with their masks on and in formal clothing is when they do all that but also have a hat on on top of their, their mask. Oh, yeah. Oh, but, yeah. You know, in my opinion, um, how do you have your first show and not have the Lucha Brothers in something that highlights them more than this? And to be honest, I'm only thinking about that now. Well, in retrospect, because I like the show now in, in retrospect more than I did while I was watching it, I didn't have as much fun watching it as it sounds like you did. But See, yeah, I think we're opposites. I think I had a lot of fun watching it, and then when I'm going over my notes, and then, it, you know, let me be 100% honest and transparent as well. I wasn't on the internet during the show because I knew it was going to ruin it for me. And then I did go on, you know, Twitter a bit today. And seeing the things that people are saying about the show on Twitter, um, both positive and negative, I don't want to say change my opinion of things, you know, because I'm not a, a fucking weak-minded fool, but it made me think about things that I didn't think about earlier, as well as sometimes people just blindly praise things that aren't worthy of praise. Just in the same way I think people blindly bash things that aren't worthy of being bashed uh, right like nickelback rocks okay they're heavy as hell did the song because of you that drop tune down picking is sick and this show was not a revolution in wrestling did i like watching it yeah sure i did did i like seeing the lucha brothers come out in their masks i did and i think what i you know to your point about you know they could have been used at a in a better way. Obviously, I, I can't disagree with that because I love these guys, but I appreciated AEW's restraint and not having any of the offensively bad characters on the show. I didn't have to see Luchasaurus. And I'm sure these people will show up eventually. I'm just saying, for their debut, I didn't have to see The Dark Order. All right. I didn't have to see Joseph Janela. I didn't have to see Jimmy Havoc. You know, they, they really, the people that were on the show, besides Brandon Cutler, who, again, he was fulfilling his contractual obligation to make a wish, they were people that they should be highlighting or trying to highlight and push. And I, I respected that and appreciated that. Um, other than, you know, the match we're about to talk about, actually, not the match we're about to talk about. The match we're about to talk about is Paige versus Puck. But other than Riho and Nyla, which they had already booked ahead of time, they couldn't get away from that, Nyla obviously will be a discussion here in a moment. But that all being said, Page versus Pack, we finally got to see. Didn't get to see it at the Double or Nothing show. They brought it back for, for this. And I, uh, I thought this match was cool, too. You know, so, so far we got, well, this is what, the third match, right? First match, not bad. Second match, very bad. This one, good. This is the thing. The second match, if I viewed it solely as MJF in action, you know, essentially MJF in an enhancement match with some guy, then it would have been like, oh, cool. He does that bully, you know, schoolyard bully tripping, you know, thing, which I can't remember ever seeing that in a wrestling match very early on. I thought, man, that's so great. It just, it highlights 
MJF not just as a wrestler, but his character. Like, he's a fucking prick. It's so awesome. But the fact that we know all this stuff about Cutler, you know, and we they devoted so much time and fucking videos that made it seem like, but this isn't just MJF versus a jobber. It's MJF versus some guy who's going to be around, you know, potentially, and he's supposed to view him as a sympathetic star. Um, that's what taints that match to me. This match, I thought this match was was real cool. The third diamond cutter of the night, so gotta enjoy that. Jr. says, "Yeah, he, he's smart. He's gotta he's gotta let Pack come to him and not go out there." But as soon as Pack came in the ring, he came in and kicked him in the face. <laughs> and and Jr. said that after <laughs> Page got kicked in the face, so I was like, "Jr., I don't know if that was the best strategy." Um, I'm not mocking Jr. for that. I, I'm just these are things that I remembered happening. Like you said, I thought the commentary for the most part was good on this show. Excalibur just kind of yelling moves when he gets excited is not my favorite thing, but it's not offensively bad. I, I can I can handle it, and I don't have to see his face. Well, I never have to see his face because he's wearing a mask. But this match was cool. The uh, the Charlotte moonsault that Paige did halfway through the match was, uh, was funny. And then that spinebuster, if you want to call it that, where he just he, he doesn't actually go all the way down with them like a, a spinebuster would be. He just kind of it's almost like, um, I feel like Stevie Ray maybe used to do that move where he just kind of th- throws him down, like kind of pops him up like he's going to do a spine buster, but from a standing position, throws him to the mat. Uh, maybe it's still just a spine buster. But either way, spines were busted for sure. The, the, the vertebrates were not aligned after that move. I thought it looked really gnarly, and I, I thought that was cool. Yeah, Stevie Ray did that the way Ron Simmons did it. He would pick the guy up for a spine buster, but then straight up with his right hand on it, he'd put... Ron Simmons would put his right hand on his opponent's chest and throw him down. And man, yeah, we all, if we don't all know, we all should know how much I love Ron Simmons. But um, unfortunately, we're not talking about Ron Simmons. But fortunately, like I said, I, I like this match. Adam Page's entrance, I thought, rocks. I think he had some pyro. God, I hate saying pack. Um, hopefully, at some point when he turns face, he does a Pac-Man gimmick. Which I know is like, really? oh, come on, that's so stupid. But I think that would actually be really funny. The Pac-Man uh, gimmick in Guardians of the Galaxy 2 is hilarious. So I think it would probably be cool to put one of the best wrestlers on TV into a silly gimmick like that. Uh, this match uh, really made me remember again how much I hate Justin Roberts. Um, I was told that he didn't say, that he did say, the bastard Pac. But the way I heard it, I could have swore he said, a bastard, pack. But, um, you know, 14, Bill. Yeah, he probably said the. But either way, Justin Roberts really, you know, stinks. Um, the back and forth slugfest at the start of this match is so rough and awesome. Just uh, these guys, you know. Adam Page has a very specific style, and it's very different from everybody else in AEW, so his matches always stand out on the card, in my opinion. He, his, when he makes a match fast-paced, it's very quick. And I'm not saying it's quick, like, oh yeah, fast is quick. He only does fast-paced in very short spurts. You know, usually the heel is very slow and methodical, and the face is... Up tempo. Um, Page isn't up tempo as a general rule. 
So I, I just think it's very interesting at all, let alone in 2019, for a face to, to move in a methodical way. Um, but to me, I, I appreciate it not just because all the AEW matches typically are very fast-paced, but just the fact that there is a face at all that is methodical, it's different. So I, I, I think it's cool. There's so many high-impact moves in this match. You know, uh, the Black Arrow Splash, I guess that's what they're calling it now. What, it used to be the Red Arrow? Yeah, it looks so devastating onto an opponent's back versus a stomach, which I thought at first when he first went for it, I was like, oh, that's unique. But I thought it looked even more impactful doing it to his back than it did to the chest. Yeah, because anytime someone does any type of any type of splash, no matter what the variation is on it, um, it's always, you know, to the uh, the fucking anterior side, <laughs> of the, <laughs> side of the body. Um, but doing the black arrow to his back and then going right into the brutalizer and then winning the match, man, great finish. Just both these guys look, looked awesome. Um, so I, I love this match. This was like by far the highlight of the show to me. But like I said, at this point in the show, the last couple of segments, you know, the pre-tapes, the uh, SCU Lucha Brothers interview, the fucking Harlem Heat cosplayers and the 90s guys, all of that despised. It was like, oh, this is like turning my stomach from the good taste I had of the beginning of the show. And then this match brought me right back. I was like, all right, cool. We're, we're back on board. I even figured at this point, like, you know, we know that I've been watching New Japan a lot more than, than I had in the past. Uh, they very rarely do pre-tapes or, you know, out-of-the-ring angles. And you always get everybody's character. And you always understand everybody's storyline. And everything is in ring. I feel like AEW should really, really take some hints from that. Because that's, that's where they shine in this show, at least. In shows prior, I think sometimes they have something good going in the ring. And then they ruin it by adding on 15 extra minutes and 25 extra high spots. This show, if it was just the three matches and a couple of video packages without having pre-tapes, you know, just the kind of video buildup is what happened in the past. Here's a soundbite from Cody. Here's what happened in the past. Here's a soundbite from Adam Page. Uh, I could understand all the stories and all the buildups, and I think that would have kept me into the show this entire time. But like I said, there's only been one segment or, you know, one big chunk of time out of four so far that I haven't liked in this show. Yeah, and I did like and noted that they didn't have any, like, backstage interview things, which is prevalent with... Uh... WWE and, and TNA and things like that, or it was prevalent with TNA. I don't think they really do stuff like that anymore. They do little vignettes and uh, and pre-tape segments and things like that. But um, you know, I, I thought that was cool that there were no straight up just like you know, here's Jennifer in the back with MJF to talk about his match. All right, so we got two matches left, two major segments as well, um, and I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on the ending segment. And, and I'm just going to let you go because I feel like you got a lot to say about it. But in the meantime, we got the women's championship match between Riho and Nyla Rose with Britt Baker on NyQuil on commentary. And this, <laughs> <laughs> yo, I didn't, I completely forgot she was on commentary for most of it until they would just randomly be like, right, Britt? And she'd be like, hell yeah, man. Um, 
Rio and Nyla was fine at best. Riho, I'm a big fan of, and I maintained my fandom throughout this match, mainly because of kind of the ending sequence when she's legit shoot, just punching the hell out of Nyla while Nyla's sitting on the top turnbuckle before she goes into that cool uh, Northern Lights suplex off the top rope. But I mean, I I also was happy because I feel like probably in the beginning, Nyla might have been their choice to be the champion. I, of course, have no way of knowing that. But like we both talked about when she participated in that battle royal and just really exposed how not ready for this spot she is. Uh, I'm glad that if they didn't change their mind, that that wasn't their mindset in the first place, because I mean, this match went out of its way to, to prove it once again, right, right on down to the aftermath of the match. But uh, Nyla is, is very bad and I'm sure she'll be great soon because she has all the necessary tools, but she wasn't ready for this. And uh, you know, we got through it. We all got through it together. They got the championship established. We got Riho on there who can work with lots of different people, whereas Nyla may only kind of be able to have one kind of style match. And you got a, you got a babyface women's champion, which is cool when you have the heel uh, world champion. So I think that's a cool little dynamic as well. Interesting also that I know that you said you didn't watch it yet, but the NXT women's championship match was happening simultaneously to this one. So that's a cool little trivia for you side-by-siders. But uh, what did you think about this match? And then we'll talk about what happened afterwards. Um, you know, with the two women in this match, it makes me wish that I had two more hands so I can give this entire segment four thumbs down. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, Britt Baker just even coming to commentary, in my opinion, is so WWE. But at the same time, I don't knock AEW for doing that, even though I almost want to knock AEW anytime they do anything that is very specific to WWE, because I feel like I'm just inundated with people telling who that are super pro AEW, just talking about how everything WWE does is so bad. Um, so I guess I almost feel like I have to play devil's advocate in that way. Um, but I think AEW is a wrestling company, so they should take the good things WWE does and use them. And disregard the bad things that they do. The thing is, bringing Britt Baker to commentary, which I think is a good thing, uh, she has no business being there. She adds absolutely nothing. Uh, I mean, I guess if I want to just look at the positives, every time they put her on camera while she's commentating, you know, with the headset on, she's aware of it. And she'll look at the rest of the announced team and smiles and everything. So I think that's excellent. You know, I, I hopefully I'm not just grasping at straws to say something positive, um, because if they put the camera on her when she's doing commentary, and she just has a blank stare on her face. You know, as it, I would assume that was what she looked like the entire time the camera wasn't on her because she's not adding anything to it. But, you know, if she's not ready to speak or add anything to commentary, don't fucking bring her out there, especially when a three man booth is hard enough as it is. This belt, the AEW woman's world championship belt is way too small and it's fucking silly this belt so fuck clash of champions 12 mountain madness 1990 uh september there was a woman's match between susan sexton who was the um she was an australian she was the world champion of some fucking women's wrestling organization at the time 
she's wrestling um, uh, 80s, 90s wrestler. Looks like an 80s, 90s uh, women's wrestler. So on both of those shows, they make fun of the belt because the belt looks like a fucking child's toy or something that, oh, fuck, we have a women's title match? Where's the belt? Oh, I didn't bring the belt because no one cares about it. Oh, shit, somebody run to Michaels real quick and make a belt. Uh, is this belt that bad? No. But, man, they could have just went to Target, bought the WWE Women's Championship belt, uh, taken Hogan's spray can, spray paint bottle, and spray painted AEW over it, and it would have been a more realistic-looking title than this is. You know why these this match shouldn't have happened? Because both of these women should have seen the belt and been like, I don't fucking care about that shit. I'll just go to Target and buy, and buy one. I'll go to zombiesailor.com and buy one of those AWA championships that he found. Um, I know I'm obsessing about this belt, but I mean, even though I don't personally like what the AEW World Championship looks like, it doesn't matter what I think. It still looks credible. You know, if I, if I can understand why a wrestler, you know, if we're looking at this kayfabe, a wrestler should see that belt and be like, yes, I want to win that belt, not just to prove I'm the best, but when I put that championship on and walk through the fucking locker room, the other wrestlers look at me like I'm wearing something of prestige. Um, like I said, I know I'm getting way too in-depth on this, but I mean, you know, it's a fucking television show. We want to buy into it. I don't buy into anybody giving a fuck about this stupid accessory. Um, okay, so let's get past that. So Nyla gives Riho a splash. She hits the ropes and then does a, a big splash. Nyla is 600 pounds and Rio is 40 pounds. So what happens? Rio bridges out of that splash. You know, she doesn't kick out of a pin. She bridges out of the pin and no sells that splash. Are you fucking kidding me? Are you kidding me? I know that a big splash, again, like just hitting the ropes and not jumping off, you know, the World Trade Center and giving someone a splash. I know that's not a finisher anymore, but just completely no-selling the fact that a, a woman three times your size splashed you. God, man, that get the fuck out of here. I don't like Rio. I think she is so phony, and I think it sucks. So they do that whole uh, chair spot where Nyla just takes, you know, a fucking Ikea's worth amount of chairs out from under the ring and puts them in a pile. Uh, she has no idea what she's doing. I don't know if she's trying to buy for time, but whatever. Um, Rio winds up on the chairs. Nyla goes into the ring or on the apron. She does goddamn fucking something. And she goes to just flip onto Rio. And Rio moves out of the way. And Nyla takes this devastating bump onto a stack of chairs. So... At that point, I'm like, oh, man, like that's a, a big bump. So they do something that I took a little bit of notice of, but this is where I really, really noticed that they were doing this throughout the show and that I paid a lot of attention to it at this point on. They pick one person in the crowd and do a close-up of them and get their reaction. Doing that, you know, one or two times for something major, I think is, is, is cool. I like seeing crowd reactions. They do it a million times. But when they do it for this bump, I'm, you know, in retrospect, I expect to see somebody, you know, at least making the face that I made or like at least you see a face of somebody that sounds like they're going, oh, fuck. What do they show? They show some fucking girl laughing. 
So it's like, wait a minute. Nothing matters. Even the crowd isn't buying this shit because they see this 300-pound woman flip off the apron onto a pile of chairs. Rio, to me, is the same thing as Marco Stunt. And I would go as far as to say the same thing is fucking super humming. The finish was was the same thing. At this entire match, what, Rio knees her in the back and then pins her? Get the fuck out of here. This is so stupid. So, like I said, Nyla's completely lost me after the last show. This show, this match, does nothing to help. Um, Rio, I'm sorry. Just, like, it's a fucking joke. Rio is the AEW Women's Champion. And Shayna Baszler is the NXT Champion. So after the match, what uh, Nyla goes to give Nakazawa? Uh, well, hold on, bomb. don't 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 breeze past the fact that why the hell is Nakazawa in the ring right now? Oh, I I, I don't fucking know. I guess because they just like oh Rio's from Japan, we want to get another Japanese guy in the ring. I feel like the setup was supposed to be that they were going to be interviewing each other in Japanese so that you know, she could have a celebration as the champion, but they never got to the point where they established that before they went into the angle. And I thought that was, you know, and that's just, that's live TV. Maybe some of the, I'm trying to be positive here because, you know, I want to, I want to just tell you that fuck this show. It's no better than WWE. NXT is better, but I'm trying to be cool. I'm cool. Guys, I'm cool. Listen. Yeah. But like you said, so why is Nakazawa in the ring? And why is he grabs the mic and goes, Okay, um, I'm so proud of you. Like, uh, I'm proud of you. Like, okay, who the who the fuck are you? And then Nyla goes into you know an attack, like she's gonna attack Rio. She tries to powerbomb Nakazawa, who is not a large man. Okay, uh, definitely smaller than Nyla is. She's having a little bit of trubs. And then don't worry, if you thought that this match was gonna end without somebody who's an executive vice president, making sure that he overshadows their brand new women's champion. You're wrong because Kenny Omega comes out with his hair never looking worse. And uh, now him and Nyla are in some shoving match. I know they've kind of established that Riho and Kenny know each other and are friends, but this seems like it's absolutely unnecessary and going nowhere. And, and maybe it is going somewhere and, you know, great if it does, but in this moment and in retrospect, this sucks. Yeah. Dude, ugh. and Kenny's in the next segment. So oh, if- oh, 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 man, you're 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 st- you're stealing. I'm, I'm no, it's it's good because what you're stealing is me yelling for another five minutes for no fucking reason. Nobody wants to hear me yell all goddamn day. But yeah, um, Nyla, ugh. Nyla should not be on NXT because she deserves to be there, or she definitely shouldn't be on TV. She deserves to be in something that is classified developmental because on live TV, she almost broke this. Let's be honest. It's, you know, I'm watching AEW for the first time because so is everybody else. Uh, who the fuck is Nakazawa? No one knows. Oh, well, you know who he's, you know, according to AEW fans, brand new. We're just watching this on TV. You know who we know him as? The guy Nyla almost broke his fucking neck. And it's funny because I'm thinking like, what the fuck? Nyla lost this match and just whatever. Like, oh, what? N- now what? Now what? Like, oh, she's beating up Nakazawa. He's a guy like, oh, you know what? Maybe they're going to put Nyla just in the men's division because she's so big. But it's like, wait a minute. They can't do that because she just lost to an 80-pound woman. So there's no chance she could be in the men's division with you know 250-pound men, especially because she just shows it immediately. She can't 
powerbomb this guy who's probably, you know, 180 pounds. But then, like you said, Omega comes in. It makes no sense. He pushes Nyla once. And, oh, big surprise. The way he pushes her looks like he's never been in a fight in his entire life. <laughs> All right. So let's let's uh, go to the, the go-home segment of the show. We got the big six-man tag. All right. So we got the Elite, which the show I can't stress enough is named after. Uh, Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks versus Jericho and who were up until the day prior mystery tag team partners. So do you think he had a big reveal of like, oh man, it's two big names that either are already established characters or like you know from WWE since this show is obsessed with ex-wrestlers from other companies. The whole roster is TNA, Lucha Underground, Ring of Honor, WCW. WWE. No, it is LAX from TNA. Two people you don't care about. The only thing you know about them are, I'm sorry, first of all, they're P and P now. <laughs> I know you you told me this. And what does that P and P stand for? <laughs> Pride and power. Okay, yeah. So the Puerto Rican tag team has a fucking confederate uh, nickname yeah yeah i didn't hear them refer to them as that on the show no they refer to them as their individual names so maybe they're not sticking with the uh pnp god i yeah. hope they don't but i hope, I hope um, not so anyway and, that and you, you don't have to santana and ortiz don't give them a tag team name normally i want tag teams to have tag team names but santana and ortiz that is a, a badass sounding name to me so so we got the six-man tag. We've already ruined the quote-unquote surprise of the mystery partners, but whatever. So we're doing the six-man tag, and I don't know how many minutes into it, but keep in mind, this is the first episode. This is the show that, for the real wrestling fan, all right, no bullshit. Not like that other garbage on the other station. Not, not, the, not the multi-billion dollar corporation that's trying to hold us down. So in the first couple minutes... Hey, guess what? It's 1995 WCW Nitro, where the referee doesn't know the rules of the match. Anybody can interfere. There's a surprise run-in. It's overbooked to hell. The debut swerves. And I mean this sincerely. I'm sure this was exciting to a lot of people. I'm sure a lot of first-time viewers who don't watch wrestling. I bet if Neil, who we had on the show uh, not long ago, if he would have watched this, he would have thought it was cool. Because it's a lot of action happening at one time. And sometimes you do need that. But... Maybe you don't need that on your first episode when you're trying to tell me that this is so much superior to the exact same thing that's happening on the other channel. NXT ended, what, two weeks ago with a big melee with all these people running and attacking each other in the ring. This show ends with, I don't know, like 10 guys fighting each other in the ring. And uh, it's, it's corny to me. But better than all of that, we got our big surprise debut. On the other channel, NXT has just had a surprise of Finn Balor, one of the biggest wrestlers in the world. He's now part of NXT. So, you know, we're going to get something equal to that level of stardom on AEW. We're going to get Jack Swagger, Jake Hager, who's been in TNA, Lucha Underground, WWE. And I'm not saying that to make his resume sound more impressive than it is. I'm saying that uh, he's just another guy that is someone that they're grasping at straws for. The most TNA move ever, some ex- WWE guy that they're like, oh man! In fact, Tony even does his so like, what, what, what's he doing here? And 
hey, don't get me wrong. He looked great in here as far as just looking devastating. And I'm a big Jack Swagger fan. I met him at an Applebee's once. He was high as hell. Dude's cool. But uh, who cares? You know, he's not Lex Luger, which I know is what they wanted. You know, you know, they wanted their, you know, Nitro first episode Mall of America big surprise. And they, I know that's probably what they think he was. But the show goes off the air with people chanting, we the people, which is a WWE catchphrase. You got Jericho in the ring, former WWE champion, Cody. All right, ready to shit in your pants? Yeah. You I liked it. it. I, I, didn't, I did not love it. Okay. But I liked it with bordering on, yeah, I really like this. So Omega is headlining this show, but did a run-in just a minute prior to this. And not only that, he is still part of the ring introductions. So he came out in, you know, I guess the semi-main event and did a bit of a save and even pushed the woman and then all of a sudden runs backstage so we could come back out with music. Uh, that is illogical. And I would go as far as to say that is something that I do not like. Excalibur is just so bad. He's not good. Uh, um, would it really kill them to have just JR and, and Tony Schiavone? Because I'm asking that question, but I'm also answering the question. Oh, hey, Rick, your answer is no, it would not kill them. I see Kenny Omega in any situation, but I see him in the ring. He took his shirt off and, you know, he's bouncing around and he's, you know, drama club and all that stuff. Man, he's so gross. He just looks like a fucking gross guy. And, like, I don't know, man. Well, fuck it. I was going to say this apologetically, but I'm not because we're talking about AEW. AEW has a lot of guys that I think are just gross to look at. You know, Sammy Guevara is not in bad shape. You know, I would go as far as to say he's in good shape. I bet his cardio is excellent. But I look at him and it it's like... It skeeves me out a bit. I don't know. He just has that kind of like wiry, like slime ball guy body, which I guess, you know, maybe that goes into his character. But I mean, you could be a slime ball character and look like Rick Rude. I'll give you an example of someone who did that. Rick Rude. Moxley doing his run in, I thought was proper for many reasons. And I did like it because he hasn't been around. He got hurt. Uh, he's only had the one match in AEW. They were supposed to have the match with Omega. And um, he got all fucked up and went home for a little while. The fact that the match turns into a no disqualification match, I'm assuming, at some point, that's a little odd, right? Like, I, you even mentioned it. Like, oh, I don't know what's going on. I'm the referee, but I have no authority. Like, you know, you can't just have a seventh guy come in the middle of the ring and start a fight. But you know what? Whatever. Let's Let's... Let's not worry about little things like, you know, the rules, chronology and continuity and logic get in the way of things while I'm trying to enjoy a wrestling match. Moxley giving Omega that fucking DDT, that huge glass table DDT. Um, that was insane. I normally... You know what? I'm all for dumb shit like this, so long as there's logic behind it. So a lot of times, you know, I'll do the like, why are they, they're doing this? And by they, I mean any wrestling promotion. Like, 
why throw somebody off of the scaffolding when they could have gotten the same, you know, the same result by giving them a fucking, you know, body slam on an exposed floor or something. That might be a bad example, but you know what I'm saying? This served its purpose. You know, it, it's, it shows you in AEW aside from, you know, the garbage match that Moxley had with Janela, which I feel like that was gratuitous. This wasn't gratuitous to me. This was, it really sets it up. Moxley hates Omega and he'll do anything to inflict punishment on him so much so that he'll put himself through a glass table. Now, let me do something that's crazy and let me praise Kenny Omega for a second because the way that he took this bump was fucking phenomenal. He jumped up and with the fucking crown of his head smashed through a glass table and then let after you know we broke the glass with his head in the wrestling way we know how the bump goes you know he's left laying on you know his head and his neck and the top of his shoulders and just both omega and moxley are laying there in a heap uh so i i love that and it's a great way like oh well now omega's out of the match so now it's three on two what the fuck is gonna happen so i'm i'm into all of that so i i really like it um so like what i said before about the going to the close-ups of the crowd they go to a close-up of a crowd after that bump and what is it again it's a fucking girl laughing so by the time it finally gets to um the hot tag with the young bucks and nick jackson makes his comeback i think his comeback is awesome He's doing lots of cool moves and his kind of, you know, Young Bucks gymnastics. But in a way where, to me, the match has been building up to a babyface comeback. So instead of like, oh, well, we're doing a bunch of dumb flips for no reason. It's, oh, well, you're doing a babyface comeback. You know, so all the things I would normally say are like, oh, well, it's dumb flips. It's like, no, it's not dumb. It makes sense. He has a big fiery comeback on three guys. And he's a little guy, so of course all of his offense is going to be, you know, gymnastics and stuff. And I'm hoping that his comeback is leading to the finish. And I'm thinking, if this is leading to the finish, then this is an excellent babyface comeback. And I never think that about the Young Bucks. And what happens? It all leads to the finish. And not only does it lead to the finish, it's Jericho winning with the Judas effect. So I'm like, oh man, that rocks. So after the finish, I am fully prepared to say, you know what? I like that match. And it's also the most logical Young Bucks match that I've ever seen. Then we get into the whole schmaz at the end. Cody coming out in his civilian you know, dress attire and attacking Jericho. So it's established. Cody is the number one contender. He's the top face. He's going after Jericho with the pay-per-view. Jericho attacked him and left him laying in the beginning of the show. He comes back. He doesn't even care that, you know, all three baby faces are left laying and the three heels are prevailing. He's going to get in there and get his uh, revenge on Jericho. Doesn't Isn't that when Sammy comes out or does some other face come out first? No, Sammy comes out to uh to fight Cody. So Sammy comes out and just kicks Cody right in the dick. 
one of two dick shots within like 30 seconds. Just in case you weren't sure about it, not only is Sammy firmly a heel, but he is a slimy bastard, and he doesn't, you know, he's a wrestler, so we should be able to, you know, do some wrestling move. Nope, just kicks him right in the dick. So I'm, I'm all for that at this point, even though I think, you know, Sammy, like they always say, oh, I'm more than just potential. To me, Sammy's just potential. Um, so, oh, fuck, who's going to save him? You know, Young Bucks are down. Omega's laying in a glass pool. Uh, someone who hasn't been mentioned the entire show. Dustin Rhodes, Cody's brother, comes out. So he comes out in full character, kicks Sammy in the dick, which is a, a gold dust type of move. But to me, that solidifies Dustin Rhodes is an active member of the roster, and he has Cody's back. That's totally cool. So, you know, there's this big schmaz. Everybody is fucking about. But then. But then. What's Jake Swagger doing in the AEW zone? Yeah. And it's funny because I said when I was watching this, um, they got to have another surprise. Okay. I've, you know, I've noticed it here and there, you know, obviously because Cody is Dusty's son and Dusty ran WCW. Cody is so open about how much he loved WCW more than WWE. Um, he brought in Tony Schiavone. The ring is a WCW style ring. They're on TNT, yada, yada. With this more than anything. Okay. And not to mention that there was like, Within the first 10 minutes of the show, there was like five WCW references on the show. Cody is determined to turn AEW into WCW. And they do that by stealing the Lex Luger showing up at the beginning of Nitro deal um, and bring Jack Swagger in. Jack Swagger never was the caliber that Lex Luger was. And that could be argued that Jack Swagger is better, a better worker in the ring than Swagger was. But Jack... Uh, that Luger was, but Luger, for better, for worse, no matter what side of the fence you fall on, Luger's name was big and important, and Jack Swagger's name isn't not big and important, but it's not on the level of Lex Luger. Come and on, for- man. It's not big or important, and I like Jack Swagger, but don't even pretend like he's a blip on any radar. He's a blip on radars of people in the wrestling bubble. No, that's not you, true. You don't, you don't think so? Not even in the wrestling bubble? No, and I think he's cool as hell. I like him a lot. but no. I, I, I do as well. But the thing is, I, I don't think he's a coup to bring him in in this way and be like, oh, man, like he's, he's the equalizer. To me, nope, it falls flat. But what I'm, I'm trying to give it the benefit of the doubt. They're trying to mimic that, and it's just – it's very, very niche where Luger coming in like – Oh, well, I'm watching Nitro for the first time. I flipped through the channels. Uh, Raw isn't on this week. Oh, um, I watch Raw casually, and I don't ever watch WCW, but, you know, I'm watching it. Oh, Lex Luger, I know him. Um, If you're watching AEW, like they say, the lapsed fan, the lapsed fan has no idea who Jack Swagger is or Jake Hader. Um, So I understand what they're trying to do, uh, but it falls flat. Another comparison to WCW what happens? It's five heels standing there. So on your first show, you have a five heel stable, which I'm not saying they're trying to replicate the NWO, but it's very WCW. WCW has always been very faction oriented. In conclusion, I'm considering AEW the new WCW for now because I feel like that's what they want me to, to do. And I loved WCW. So hopefully I will love AEW. I liked this show. I didn't like some of it. 
but I didn't love it. And even at my peak of loving WCW, WCW was always number two to WWF or WWE to me. And at this point, I am very, very open to having my mind changed, but I don't think that AEW is ever going to seem like number one to me. It wasn't, this isn't revolutionary to me, but I didn't love it. I wanted to love it. I wanted this to be like, oh man, the, the war is on, but the war isn't on. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. I liked it. I did not love it. I will continue to watch it. WCW was always number one to me, though, historically, but TNA was briefly number one to me, which this show reeks of in both good and bad ways. And NXT has never done anything that I didn't like. And so AEW has that disadvantage that I don't see me ever liking it more than NXT. And that's me straight up letting you know of my bias. I'm in love with NXT. I've always loved everything they've ever done. And AEW, I have yet to love anything they've ever done. And I look forward to loving it as well, but never as much as my true love next so that is going to do it for this episode of Stiff Shots. We hope you enjoyed our little breakdown, and I hope you were a little, little pleasantly surprised like we were about this show. Oh, did you like how my voice went up? A little pleasantly, pleasantly yeah, surprised like about uh, AEW Presents Napoleon Dynamite on Turner Network Television. We will be keeping track of it, and like I said, we'll probably do a little neck-and-neck, uh, side-by-side comparison after a couple weeks of the shows establishing themselves. But in the meantime, our next episode is going to be about World Wrestling Entertainment's hell within the confines of a cell. Bad Blood 2019. But until then, of course, you don't need me to tell you. The Rockstar Rules. And Amazon, even though they overnighted me a package the other day. Yeah, that's right. I had to call customer service. And someone like Rick had to go after hours to ship me an overnight package for something that was damaged but even though they did that for me still sucks thanks for coming out bye oh all right click on the cute monkey you press play it's just a bunch of fucking bugs running around